Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Recloseted Radio. In this episode, we are talking all about next generation materials, innovations in this space, and this is a really good episode because it's chock full of value. And you may recall from previous episodes that I am going to a lot of conferences this year. And one of the conferences I recently attended was the Material Innovation Conference. I learned a lot. I had a lot of great takeaways, but I was actually going to do a recap episode. But then I thought that I should actually get the CEO of the initiative and also the conference to come on and actually share her findings with us because her team and the work that she does is so incredible. And I really wanted to highlight it. So in this episode, I am joined by Nicole, and Nicole is the CEO and the co-founder of the Material Innovation Initiative, which is a nonprofit accelerating innovation in more sustainable and animal-free materials for fashion, automotive, and home good industries. Nicole works with key audiences around the world, including companies, entrepreneurs, scientists, investors, and government officials to promote the development of next-gen materials. Before her work in developing more sustainable products, Nicole was an attorney advising Silicon Valley Board of Directors, executives, and companies on financial matters and environmental law. Before we dive in, I did want to preface this episode with some of my key takeaways from the conference and also from going through the reports that MII puts out. First of all, from a market size and opportunity perspective, I always knew that materials were growing and evolving and there was a lot of potential there, but there's hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars being invested in this space and this is not even anywhere near the peak. So there's a lot of potential and opportunity here, which is really exciting. At the conference too, they mentioned that we are at the beginning of the revolution and it is really exciting, but we probably won't be seeing a lot of saturation or mainstream adoption probably in the market and in retailers for another 15 to 20 years. So we are more ahead of the curve and that's definitely what we pride ourselves on at Recloseted. So make sure you learn as much as you can, stay updated, stay up to date with trends and what's going on in terms of innovation. And then when that time frame rolls around, you'll be prepared with your brand. And then one of my other key takeaways was something that Nicole touches on in this episode later on as well. But in order for a substitute to truly take off and be adopted, it needs to be better and cheaper than the incumbent or than what's currently available. As an example, we talk a lot about leather. And so if we want the everyday consumer, not someone that's super, super conscious and really wants to advance the industry, but just an everyday Joe, if we want that person to switch from a traditional animal-based leather to a better alternative, 
then that better alternative needs to be on par from a performance perspective, if not better. It needs to still look stylish. It needs to still be aesthetic. And then also, it can't be wildly expensive because if it's really unaffordable, then we're not going to get that adoption, right? And so that was something that was really helpful to frame as well. And because we are in the early days of this revolution, like I just mentioned, the prices and the quality and the scalability isn't there yet. But with all the investment and all the funding, I have no doubt that it will get there. But it is important to learn about this now, so that you're not you're not left in the dust, and you know what's going on, and you're staying up to date. And so I'm really excited to have Nicole on the podcast. But before we dive into the interview, I did want to quickly say that if you want to work with our team for sustainability consulting. We only have nine spots left to work with us for the rest of this year. Once we are at capacity, we are closing doors just so we can service our existing clients and ensure that they get the best support possible. So, if you need any help crafting your sustainability strategy, sourcing better materials and/or more ethical manufacturers, as well as reporting and analyzing your impacts, and last but not least, communicating. Your sustainability efforts to your customers without coming across as greenwashing. Make sure you book a call. You'll be able to chat directly with me, and we can see if it's a fit to work together. We really only have nine spots left. We have had a lot of demand this year, which is really great. But I did want to let everyone know that, so that if you are interested in working with us, I just didn't want you to be disappointed. So to book a call or get more information, you can go to www.recalledtoday.com/services. And on that page, you'll be able to see all our different services. And then, if you want the link to book a call directly, it's just www.recalledtoday.com/call. And now, let's dive into the interview with Nicole. Well, welcome, Nicole, to Recalledted Radio. I am so excited to have you on today, and I know you're going to be able to share a lot of wisdom with our listeners. Oh, Selena, thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. Of course. And so, to kick things off, can you please introduce yourself and give us a quick overview of your career? Sure. So, my name is Nicole Rowling, and I am the CEO and co-founder of a nonprofit called the Material Innovation Initiative, and we are accelerating the development of next-gen materials, which we define next-gen as more sustainable and animal-free. Replacements, mainly for animal-based materials, so leather, wool, silk, down, fur, and exotic skins. And actually, my career progression—I come from the plant-based food industry, and so we actually did something very similar in developing the entire plant-based food industry. So, if you know of the Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger, that we helped create that industry. So, we're using very similar techniques. To now support the next gen materials industry, and before that, I was a corporate attorney representing Silicon Valley executives and actually suing some um, factory farms for environmental violations. Love it! I love that career progression too. It's, it seems like you've always been very purpose driven. I have, yeah, and actually, um, yeah, it's funny how your career always kind of leads up to where you are. Everything I've, I'm using, all of my skills, which is really nice. 
Yes, totally. And so you mentioned the Material Innovation Initiative. I would love for you to dive a little bit deeper into the work you do. And then I attended the Material Innovation Conference this year, and it was so well done. I have so many learnings, and it was so well put together. So do you want to quickly touch on what those two initiatives are? Sure. Yeah. So at the nonprofit, so the Material Innovation Initiative, we are here to support the entire new next-gen materials industry. And what we do in that is, and I'll start sort of from the beginning, we analyze the whole industry and we say, where do we think there needs to be more white spaces, both in terms of new companies and new scientific R&D? So we actually then publish a white space report saying, in order to advance this industry, this is what we need to do. And its examples are, there's not a lot of next-gen wool companies. So we think people should be working on next-gen wool. Well, another, another issue is the coatings or the binding agents or the backing for some of these materials. They're based mainly in PU. So we think there needs to be more R&D or potentially new companies creating more bio-based, say, coatings, for an example. Um, and then we help the companies. So once the companies get started, there's a variety of ways we can help them, not only looking at business plans, connecting to investors, talking about how to assess their environmental impact, connecting them with brands. We also work with investors to help them understand the value of the industry, get them um, connected to the material companies. We work with scientists and academia, and then finally also with, with brands who are in the fashion, automotive, and home goods industries who are considering integrating next-gen materials into their products. So that's us as an organization. I know it's, it's long and complicated, but actually for me, it's necessary for us to know all the players so that we're at the center of the ecosystem. We really understand what everybody's looking for and what their interests are you know, to help advanced industry. And then the conference is basically to bring everybody together. So all of those, you know, those audiences I just mentioned, the conference was mainly brands, material companies, and investors coming to learn about what we think are the, the biggest challenges facing the industry right now. I love it. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about how you manage all those stakeholders later on. But before we dive in, I do want to make sure we're all on the same page with everyone. So as you start to use some of these terminologies, I just want to make sure everyone understands what they mean. So you talked about next gen materials already, and you talked about the six material categories that you and the team found opportunities in. Uh, but I do know that sometimes the team refers to incumbent materials and also current materials. So can you define that? Yeah, so we define incumbent as the like original, usually animal-based material. So if we take leather as an example, a bovine leather, you know, and leather that comes from a cow would be the incumbent material. Then we all know there's been a lot of technological advancement that's created what we might refer to as pleather, right? So the PU-based leather. Um, those do not involve animals, but there are petrochemicals. And so we do want to also move away from those, um, which is then how we get to next gen material, which not only removes the animals, but also is much more sustainable than both the incumbent and current gen materials. 
Yes, that was very succinctly said. And so this industry is growing. And I know you and your team put together the 2021 Next Gen Materials Overview Report, and it was so well put together. I read a lot of these reports, and this one was very easily digestible. So great job to your team. I'll have it linked in the show notes for everyone to check out. But one of my biggest takeaways was just the market size and the opportunity of this. So I was hoping you could speak to that a little bit just to tell folks more. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's, you got the exact message of our, our, the purpose of the report, which is there is huge opportunity. And I think for me, that's exciting. That's the main exciting message I'd like to get across to all the, the listeners is that these next gen materials not only have a very positive social environmental impact on the world, there is also potential for financial returns. And so it's really not just asking people to do the right thing, right? It's you can do the right thing and make money with just a win-win for everyone. And so what that report is meant to do is help people understand the landscape of the industry. So who are all the players right now? How is that growing? Um, and by players, we mean not only material companies, but investors. And so one of the, the big statistics that came out of the report is that we calculate a total of $2.3 billion has been invested in next-gen materials since 2015. And the investment amount in 2021 was actually double that of 2020. So despite COVID, we're seeing a lot of increase in investments in this field. I mean, last year was almost a billion dollars. Yeah. And so we see that continuing. So our, it is an estimate where we're doing our best relying upon data, looking at other industries to, to um, predict growth, but we do estimate the global wholesale market size for next-gen materials to be about 2.2 billion in 2026. I mean, it's about 3% of the total market, but with it being a new industry, it does have to start off small. And that's that's quite a bit within the, the first few years. Yeah. And I think the key that you mentioned was just the growing trend, right? Like we're starting at kind of early stages right now, but I do hope that it picks up. And it is really promising to know that the funding is moving in this direction because when the funding moves and everyone else moves. And actually this year already, there's been, it's hard for us to keep up. There's been over 250 million invested in this industry so far in 2022. Um, And we know a lot of companies who who are conducting raises now. So we expect them out this year to beat last year. And so uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on, too, is just your personal takeaways from the conference, because there was so much covered and so many topics covered. So any insights or statistics or anything you want to share? Yeah, so I could give both statistics and, you know, sort of the takeaways that, you know, I came out of the conference um, with. And I think the main themes for me was uh, progress, not perfection. So I think it's all of us rightfully so are, you know, who care about climate change are really worried, right? We want major change quickly. Um, And unfortunately, that's not always possible when you're talking about innovation, and especially when you want to do things right. And so what we really encourage people to understand is innovation and another theme like innovation takes time. And so a lot of these products that are coming to market right now 
aren't perfect, right? There is some challenge with them, whether it is that they have a little bit of PU coding, right? Their scale might not be as what a brand would need. The price might be a little bit more expensive. We can definitely improve on the environmental metrics, um, but they are still better than, you know, the incumbent materials, the current gen and and the animal-based materials. And so by supporting those companies, whether it's through investment or buying their products to put into, into your goods, you are helping that industry. Because so we do work with you know, almost all of the material companies. I don't know a single one who's happy with where they are. They're all trying to improve on their performance. They're all trying to improve on their aesthetic. They're all proving on, you know, the sustainability and, you know, reducing their PU content. Nobody's happy with where they are. And so by supporting them, you are helping them progress towards where we really need to be um, long-term. And then I think part of that is those performance aesthetic and price are critical, right? We can't ask consumers to sacrifice. So, I mean, we can, but it's just never really worked before, right? That in order for consumers to really accept a new product, it needs to meet their expectations. And so I'm sure all of us have probably had some sort of, you know, just use like the word vegan, right? Some vegan leather that fell apart, right? I've had some where, and you're just so frustrated because not only did you pay for this new product that you're excited about now you can't use anymore, but now you have to throw it away. Right. And so if you care about sustainability, you're actually feel like you're hurting the environment. Um, we can't have those products on the market. What we need to do is ensure that the new materials really do meet those performance aesthetic metrics that consumers expect. And then I think the the last one that I'll give you, I have more, but I realize we only have so much time is that disruption is going to happen. So we, we did have a great panel on how disruption occurs and how that's occurred in the food industry and other industries, even, you know, counting automobiles, replacing the horse-drawn carriages that this new industry is coming. It's, you know, just a matter of how quickly you get involved. Yeah, no, those are great. And I have some follow-up questions. So the first one, going back to your first point about progress over perfection, that's 100% something we believe at our team as well. But I do find with a lot of our clients, they tend to feel really guilty because they feel like they have to do everything perfect. And I tell them there's no such thing as being perfectly sustainable. You know, it just doesn't exist. But you still have that feeling of, you know, oh, I'm not doing enough. I, this could be better. And so to your point, people are always iterating, overuse, improving. But do you have any recommendations on how to handle that or what you've seen other companies or brands do to deal with that? So I can talk how about how we handle it. I mean, I think we always defer to the brands. Like when we're working with the big brands, um, they have their specific priorities. They know their consumers the best. And so I think they know how to market to their consumers we believe in honesty, like, and I, that's how we handle things. And I have some examples like we actually, and about two years ago, we're only about three years old, about two years ago, we made a mistake in a calculation and we sent it out to our entire newsletter. And it was honestly a really just a mistake. It was a misunderstanding of like UN data. And 
one of our great supporters helped, you know, let us know we made a mistake. We issued a correction and we told everybody, look, this is, this is what we're trying to do. This is how we made the mistake. This is how we're improving it. And here's our current, you know, calculations. So you can actually double check us. Right. And so I don't think a lot of people did, but at least that we're helping the public understand what we're trying to do and what the challenges still are. And so when we talk about sustainability, which is very complicated, right? I mean, that's another, I think, theme is that sustainability is very complicated and there is no right answer at the moment. Just a promise and a real promise that you follow through with all of your products, your you know internal policies and procedures, that you really are trying to improve on that and you will provide as much data as possible. Um, another you know, thing that I'll mention that we're working on and we announced at the conference is an environmental data coalition. So part of the challenge that the industry has right now is their, the impact assessments for various materials are really not comparable. So you can't take a life cycle assessment of an animal-based leather next to a life cycle assessment of, you know, a current gen like PU leather against a next gen leather and actually say we have X improvement in greenhouse gas emissions or water use, because it's not clear that the parameters of each of those assessments is the same. So you're really comparing, I mean, I don't think it's quite like apples to oranges, but it's maybe like clementines to oranges or clementines to grapefruits, right? You're kind of in the same field, but they're not comparable. And so we're trying to bring the industry together to solve some of those issues and at least be more honest with the public. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like sustainability is so complex, so great. And so the first thing you can do is just have this dedication to transparency and honesty, like what you did. And for a lot of our clients too, if you pick your priorities, you share your roadmap with your customers, and then you tell them, this is why we made these decisions. This is what we can afford to do this year. This is what we want to do to improve. I think that can help. And then it can educate people too, right? There's a huge education piece that I think needs to happen too. And with even sharing the calculation with your newsletter, like subscribers, that again, educates too, which is great. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's great advice. Awesome. And then the other piece I wanted to talk about was the food industry and the fashion industry. So I know you had a background in the food industry and we had a panel at the conference that I found really, really helpful. So I was just wondering if you could share the learnings and the parallels between the two industries with their listeners and maybe even share what you think the fashion industry can learn. Yeah, I actually, a lot of it's what we've been just talking about. I think one is you have to replace what the consumers are used to eating, right? Or wearing. So in the food industry, we talked about price, taste, and convenience. So the new, and I'll just use the term burger to make it easier, right? So I don't think consumers eat burgers because they want to kill an animal, right? They eat a burger because it tastes good, right? It's almost available everywhere you go and they're really cheap, right? And so that fits those consumer needs. Um, and so, but that's an opportunity to then still give them what they want, but take out that, you know, negative social environmental component. 
And so when the industry, the food industry started to focus on not serving vegetarians and vegans, I don't know how many of the listeners here, I still remember those veggie burgers that tasted like cardboard, right? And of course they were, people bought them because they didn't have an option. If you're a vegetarian and vegan, right? That's what you buy, right? Or it had, you know, I still like the ones that have corn and black beans in them, but they're not a real meat burger. When the industry switched to say, there's a huge opportunity. We don't need to be just selling to vegetarians and vegans. We can sell to everyone if we meet their needs. That's when the whole thing switched. And so that's what we can do in the materials industry as well as people are not buying leather because they want the skin of a dead animal, right? They're buying leather because it's what they're used to, right? It's very durable. It can, you know, withstand water. It can withstand, you know, the sun or other elements. Um, And that's what we need to give them is that functional material that meets their needs and expectations not only on those performance aesthetic metrics, but on price and on availability. So something in the food industry we talked about as well is you can't have these specialty products at you know some specialty vegan store that people don't normally shop at. And so in order to make these next-gen materials really accessible to the whole industry, they have to be available in the big brands and stores where people normally shop. Yeah, that's great. And that's, I think, really helpful to think about it from a motivation perspective and why people are doing things. And then to your point, making it super easy so they don't even have to sacrifice anything to switch. I think that's been my big, my big learnings from the food industry. No, totally. This is really helpful. And so in really implementing next-gen materials, I had a twofold question. So the first one is more for startup brands. We work with both startup brands and bigger companies, but I do find with startup brands, you know, they have limited budgets, limited resources. They don't have a lot of team members. So for anyone that's really keen on adopting or incorporating these next-gen materials, do you have any advice? I do. And I don't know if everyone's going to love it, Um, but part of what, I know part of what I believe in this transparency again, too, is sometimes giving the the message that people don't love to hear where right now, the products that are generally available for brands, right? So the next gen materials that you can purchase, right? Like you can go to the website and order it or get in touch with a sales agent and order it tend to be ones with higher PU content. Right. Which I know everybody wants to move away from. We all need to stop buying petrochemicals, but those are the ones that are available right now. And so a lot of the smaller brands that are also tend to be, you know, more engaged with sustainability really don't want to make that move. So I will say a couple of things. Number one, I understand these material companies still are trying to reduce their PU content and a lot of them really are. So you can ask them that. So for example, there's one company, I don't like to mention names because everybody's changing so quickly, but there's one company right now in the market that has about 50% PU content. They're actively in R&D and we believe that they can meet this target, which is getting down to 10% by the end of this year. And so by brands supporting them, right, actually buying their content now, you are providing them with revenue that they can put into R&D to improve. Of course, let them know 
that you want to, you know, you're not happy with this long-term and you're here to support them now, but you want to see them reduce that PU content. Um, but that's the option right now. The other materials that are, you know, more of the sexy ones that are in the, in the news a lot are like the mycelium based leathers and the lab grown leather. Those unfortunately really aren't available to most of the market right now. Those material companies did develop brands, did develop partnerships with big brands to help them come to market. And a lot of their supply is spoken for, you know, it varies per company, but for a good amount of time. And so they really aren't available right now. And it's very hard for some of the smaller brands to even get in the door. So to even reach a sales agent, one of our biggest complaints, even from the big brands, and I'm talking like big, like not even small brands, like big multinational brands is they'll call these material companies and they'll never get a response. And it's because a lot of the material companies are focusing on their R&D. They don't have big sales teams at the moment because they don't need to, right? Either they don't have a product to sell or they have a brand that's slated to take that product when it's ready. And so unfortunately, I think the message right now too is, is patience for, for some of these smaller brands, which is, I know it's very frustrating, especially when we see this is right there and we see it as a, a potential for a huge impact. Yeah, but it's good to be transparent and I would say set expectations so that they know what they're getting themselves into. And there's still amazing other, like there's still natural materials you can look into. There's other alternatives as well, but going back to the whole progress over perfection piece too, I think can help too. Yeah. And, and always just staying on top of the industry. So, you know, it, it is going to develop very quickly. And, and actually one thing we talked at the conference about as well is like the number of growth in companies is increasing every single year. So even if you can't get into that top company that you want their material, there are a lot of new companies that are getting started and they could use some help, right? A lot of these big material companies, they've partnered with big brands because the big brands have that expertise, right? Like Myco Works and Hermes or like Vitro Labs just announced a partnership with Caring. Um, the same with Bolt Threads, right? They've come out with Selma McCartney, Lululemon. Those, those partnerships offer both parties a lot of advantages. And so some of the smaller brands could also look at partnering with some really early stage startups. Unfortunately, that does mean you're looking at, you know, not getting the material for a few years, but you're helping them with advice on expertise, how to create that material for your needs as well as understanding the industry and getting your foot in the door early. And talking about partnerships, uh, moving kind of to the other end of the spectrum for more bigger established brands that want to incorporate next-gen materials, but their executive team doesn't really have the patience and or trust in the material quality. Like, how do you think they can go about getting buy-in internally? Well, number one, I'll say we're here to help. So if, you know, anyone does need help, we're happy to you know, walk you through a lot of our materials and sorry, by materials, I mean like printed materials reports. That's, we've got to figure out a better, better word for that. Resources. Yes. Thank you. Um, so a lot of our resources are meant to help with that exact situation. So we have some consumer reports where we've done, we've hired an independent firm that is a consumer research firm and gone in and surveyed U.S. consumers and Chinese consumers 
about the demand for next-gen materials. And it's it's really high, right? Both reports are available on our website for free, but that's number one, something that you can show the your executives internally. Two is the number of big brands who are in this space and who are already creating materials and partnerships. That information we have in our brand engagement report, also on our website for free. And it's just laying out all of those partnerships so you can see the names involved and where this industry is going. And in that report, we also have recommendations on how to start working with material companies. Three, I would say our state of the industry report, like you mentioned, lays out all of the material companies, the investments in the field and the growth. And so it's really hard to ignore those numbers to see to see that increase i do want to do a report on disruption but i would recommend we are making our conference panels that we recorded available to the public so you can actually go on our website and purchase the packet for all of the all of the recordings i really do recommend the disruption panel because it shows how in a lot of different industries with disruption experts that This is how things occur, and it helps you prepare for that future. And I think that's what the executives want, is they want to ensure that they are prepared for where the market's going. And I think what people forget is, and and going back to leather, because that's the biggest part of this industry right now, leather is really dependent upon the meat industry, right? And so trends are increasing in flexitarianism and people who are moving away from consuming beef, you know, for health reasons, people are moving away from beef, environmental, like the the animal agriculture, especially around cows is one of the worst contributors to climate change. And so with that in food industry changing, that is going to have an effect on the availability and price of leather. And so it is actually very smart for any business to diversify, right? And so I think that's a really good message to give your bosses at the companies is they need to diversify for that risk. Um, And it is a diversification. It's not a complete bet if they're not ready to make that, that this new next-gen materials industry will survive or even take over. It's merely a diversification and uh, protecting their, their business. Yeah. I love the diversification positioning too, and just future-proofing your business, right? Which I think every executive team should be thinking about. Exactly. I'm going to start using that term too, future-proofing. Yeah. 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 And so you, I kind of want to go all the way back to the beginning of this interview where you mentioned all the stakeholders that you and your team work with. And I'm just wondering how it's been working with everyone and there's kind of conflicting interests, but also the same interests. Like, how has that been? Honestly, it's, I will say, I don't know why things have gone so easily. I think, I know, I think we're just in the right place at the right time where we are presenting this opportunity to all stakeholders, like I mentioned on that dual impact, the the potential for financial return and the potential to have that positive social or environmental impact on the world, whether it's, you know, the animal cruelty that you care about, or it's, you know, sustainability, these new materials do really help solve for both issues. 
And so with there also being significant more demand for these materials than supply, if anybody doesn't believe in this or doesn't want to work with us, we just move on, right? I mean, that's, it doesn't make sense for us to sit here and sort of beat our heads against the wall and try and convince one company or one scientist or one investor that they're wrong, right? And this is the future of the industry. We just say, you know, look, no, no problem. We understand you're not interested. If you ever want to chat again, please feel free to reach out. And then we go talk to another, you know, scientist, investor, or, or brand. Um, And I think eventually everyone, everyone will come around. And if not, that's okay too, right? The other companies will, will, I think, get these products to market. Exactly. Yeah. And so I know we talked a lot about the space and we mentioned a few challenges, but if you had to really pick one to two, like, what do you think are the big challenges in this space and how do you think we can overcome them? So my first one, which I think everyone will understand is money, right? So the R&D, the scaling, all of that takes money. And that's why we're so encouraged with the increase in investment in the industry. And that's what's going to affect the most change the quickest. Other challenges. I mean, right now the industry is facing some of those performance metrics challenges that I mentioned. And that's just part of that innovation takes time that really there's, I can't think of any product right now that I would say is perfect. Right. And by perfect, I mean like circular from the sustainability standpoint um, and is available and is as durable and performs just like those incumbent materials. One thing that I do, I don't know if I'd say I'm worried about, but that we're working on because we think it's important is some of those challenges with sustainability being complicated, right? We don't want, like you mentioned, it is hard for a brand to choose what to do. And we don't want people to be paralyzed by that fear that how do I know I'm doing the best thing I can? How do I know I'm, you know, do I choose water? Do I, when they're looking at the entire impact, do I choose my use of water? Do I choose greenhouse gas emissions? Do I use eutrophication, chemical use, like biodiversity? It's, it can be paralyzing. And the worst thing to do is be paralyzed. Um, We need action. And so, um, I honestly think if there's brands who are paralyzed, it doesn't matter at this point because there's so much demand, like I mentioned, but we really do want to help people who have the right intentions and I don't want people to be scared. So if we can help make their transition easier, I'd really like to do that. Yeah, no, totally. That's a, that's a really good point because it does no one any good for you to be paralyzed and not do anything. Yeah, just try. Yeah, just try. Yeah. And I I always think too, people tend to get paralyzed because they want something to be perfect. But like we talked about progress over perfection, right? Nothing's ever perfect. You're going to make mistakes. That's okay. The most important thing is you keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have two human children and we tell them the same thing, right? I think we just need to think about that, that how do you encourage people to do better? And it is, it is a journey. And so I know there's a lot of resources that you and your team put out. I'm going to have everything that you talked about linked in the show notes, but is there anything you would recommend someone start with? Like if they only had bandwidth for, let's say one report or two reports, what would you recommend they start with? 
Yeah, if you're starting from, I guess if you're, it depends on who you are. If you're a brand, I might start with our brand engagement report because it lays out the reasons for next-gen materials. So an overview of the sustainability, the animals, the consumers, and then it gives you those examples. It's a you know, very picture-heavy report and explains who the material companies are and how they're working with the brands. And then at the end is really how we recommend you get involved in this industry. If you're an investor, definitely our state of the industry report, because it does show you the players in the industry so far, what stages of you know, raises they're in and you know where we expect that industry to go and why, and then the different options so they can really understand investing in the industry. And then if you're a material company or, or even a scientist or an entrepreneur in the field, well, maybe the, maybe the white space report, because at least for the scientists and the entrepreneurs, that's where we see there's the biggest opportunity. Like what we tried to do was say, you're interested in the space, you have some experience, like we'll lay out on a platter, the business opportunities R&D for you. Um, think about these. And then of course, you know, reach out to our team. We have you know, real experts in their field running these departments and writing these reports. And we're here to help the industry. Yeah, and I highly recommend those reports. Like you mentioned, you really do serve it up on a silver platter for everyone. So all they have to do is go and pick what they want to do. And then it's super easy. So yeah, yeah, you and your team should be super proud. Okay, cool. And then I guess just generally, like, are there any innovations you're really excited about or anything you're really looking forward to? Well, I will mention this just because it's in the news recently and it hasn't come on the market yet. I mean, I do, I'm pretty excited to see Vitro Labs lab grown leather um they are coming out with a product this year and they will be the first there is no lab grown leather on the market yet um and that you know, so people understand it is actually animal cells they take a biopsy of the animal and they grow those cells in a factory um to me that's pretty exciting and they just raised you know money with caring as part of that partnership that that's coming out this year. That's really exciting. And then Myco Works is building a production facility in South Carolina. They just raised money for that in January. And so that's really going to allow them to scale. So at least for me, I think those are, those are products we are going to see on the market this year that are really going to lead in the plant-based leather industry. Yeah. And it's such amazing R&D. And as someone that appreciates the sciences, but also is like very intimidated by it. I'm always like so amazed. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. It is amazing what you can do with technology. Totally. And so wrapping things up, but what is next for MII or MIC? So this week I'm just sending out thank yous. I mean, the amount of like industry support we've had for that conference. And like you said, I am so pleased with how it went and our team was just incredible in, in pulling that off. Um, but then we are planning next year. So if you do did attend our conference, we are looking for some feedback. We'd really like to improve for next year. We are thinking of doing it in person um, or at least a hybrid because we do want to make sure that we have as much access as possible. And I know traveling to a conference isn't always in everybody's budget. And we are thinking New York. So if anyone has some different opinions, feel free to send us, send us those. And then we have a couple other reports coming out this year. So we have that environmental sustainability report that's coming out as part of our work with our environmental data coalition. 
And then we have a what makes wool wool report. So that's really geared towards scientists to help them understand. It's, it's meant to bridge the difference between how scientists view things and how designers view things. And so how, why do designers like wool? What is it about that material that really makes it special? And then get down to the building blocks of wool to see what makes wool wool and then help scientists understand that so that they can then replicate it. Oh, amazing. I can't wait to read those. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Well, how can everyone stay in touch? How can everyone support you and the work that you're doing with your team? Like, let us know what all your links are. Yeah, no, thank you so much. So our website is materialinnovation.org. And that's where you can find all of our reports. You can find profiles of all the innovators in the space and you can sign up for our newsletter. And we do send out a newsletter once a month and promise we don't overwhelm you with, with information. I think it's, you know, it's pretty useful. And then we are a nonprofit. So our work is supported by philanthropy and it's donors who really do understand the value of the market and how by giving consumers what they want and supporting these businesses, it's the best way to affect change, you know, rather than demanding people just, just change their behavior. And so we really could not do our work without the support of our donors. Amazing. And I also know you mentioned you are hiring. Do you want to give a quick plug? Yes. Thank you so much. I said I wanted to say that and then I totally forgot. We've had such a great conversation. So yeah, we are hiring a a chief partnership officer. So what we need is somebody to interface with the fashion automotive home goods brands and help them understand this entire industry, help them understand the opportunities. And then if they're ready, start to talk about them with them, integrating these materials into their supply chain. And as part of that is you know, introducing them to the material companies. So I think it's a really high impact position and it would be leading all of our work with those three industries. Love it. Is there anything else you want to share or any last words of advice you have for everyone? No, I just want to say thank you. I really appreciate this, Selena. It's it's wonderful what you're doing for the industry. And I think this is exactly what we need is this opportunity to share more information. So people really you know, care about these issues to be able to have a resource like yours where they can learn about you know, new ways to, to be sustainable and, and have a positive impact. It really does matter. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's really nice of you. And of course, like all the work that you and the team are doing is amazing too. So like I mentioned, everything will be linked below, but thank you so much, Nicole, for taking the time. This was really, really great. And I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this. Thank you. You too. And that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted Radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.